things that need to be hidden. Diane. <laughs> it's really what it's all about. You know, it's, it's what the Bill and Diane show has always been about. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> we hide so. That's, well. that's right. That's what we do. That's what we're all about. It's eight forty nine a.m. Saturday, September the fifth, twenty twenty. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane show. I couldn't remember where I whether where whether. Let me start that again. <laughs> I couldn't remember whether I say the year at the beginning. <laughs> Funny how the mind is slipping away, isn't it, Diane? Oh yes, I've noticed. I've noticed both of us have left on either burners or ovens. I thought, oh my God, it's happening. Yep. It's the thing. I can almost read the story of the little sidebar story on page B seventeen of the newspaper. <laughs> Another old couple torches them, torch, torch themselves and don't notice. I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. <laughs> ah, I'm an angel. Burned out of their home and they can't remember why. <laughs> oh, you laugh because it's, it's so true and so sad. That's the truth. But... Is it okay if I open the blinds? Absolutely. You're the one who usually likes to have them closed for the sun, but well, it doesn't just... look like we got much on that score yeah. this morning, which I'm very thankful for, actually. It's the... It's the and you, you commented on this before, Diane, how there's a quality of the light in the summertime. Oh, yeah. That is, it seems a lot more sh uh, stark and... Harsh. Kind of glaring. Yeah. I always just figure it must be my cataracts. No, I think, well, I've even heard other people talk about the fall, yeah. that there's more of a golden light. That's the thing that I... Well, I've definitely heard you talk about fall with its golden light. Well, I think the, the first time I really recognized it was when I was going to college. Because um, Pacific Lutheran University, where I went, they started earlier than most schools. They started... Yeah about now in the uh right after labor day just like the high schools did and all that and a lot of like the university of washington fall quarter doesn't start till the end of september right. but uh but i always like to come a little early so i could get all settled in my room and everything yeah, before like a quarter and i still have this image of this one evening that i was sitting out in the quad you know where Everybody was out studying on this beautiful expanse of that very soft green grass that we have in the Northwest, which is very different than what we had in California. Yep. It's so, it's almost like moss. It's so soft and so beautifully shaded in color. And there were some buildings in the background and all the the buildings that peel you were brick and the sun was going down and it was just casting this golden light on the scene and because of that the beauty of that moment mm -hmm. i just have it freeze framed in my mind because i thought oh my god look how beautiful this is so i do think that in the the northern areas mm. there's a definite change yes uh, I was talking about this with Kat one time, and she was saying 
it's the gloaming, you know, the gloaming that they talk about. So a lot of times uh, when we see that or think about it, Kat and I will say, the gloaming, the gloaming. <laughs> okay. It's just, you had to I, I always think it's because in, in the northern hemisphere, the reason the grass is so soft is because it's got more water in it. The, well, each blade of grass is more plump. Yeah, well, uh, not only that, but it's finer because down in California, grass won't grow unless it's really hardy. Yeah. And so the, the grass that we had uh, in our in, yard same was... Same thing in Twisp or in eastern Washington, yeah. too. And it's a lot more prickly. It's it just, hurts to yeah, sit on it. it it's like little blades. Or it's more sparse in that each grass plant has some live leaves and some dead leaves, and the dead leaves tend to be a little stiffer. Yeah. Uh, and the yeah so it all just well, and, but i think it's because there's less water in each individual leaf that makes them just a little bit drier because grass doesn't need that much water but it doesn't kill it to give it a lot of water and so you know you get nice healthy plump uh you know grass blades and they just are soft and they got more give and more flex and but it's a different breed of grass too because my parents actually told me yes that in California they got Kentucky bluegrass was what it was the seed was because it could because and it it's kind of blue climate, yeah. so it isn't that that spring green that the grass is around here so mm-hmm. so that's why I love the Northwest I just love the the looks of everything the foliage everything is is happy in the in the wet <laughs> you know. <laughs> How's that for a digression, ladies and gentlemen? How's that? (laughs) How we doing? It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, as per usual. Over to you, Diane. Well, the funny thing about it being a hectic week is I'm on furlough. Right. You know, this whole week I was on furlough. Yeah, it really really makes me understand that once you retire, you're not going to know what to do with yourself. You're just not, because (laughs) you just don't know how to fill your time if it's not doing something for somebody else, you know, so. But you were doing something for somebody else this week. Oh, well, I knew that I was going... uh, We talked last week about my interview with Magical Strings. Did we? We did. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and this week I was transcribing the interview, which was very, very long. And... Very detailed. And very detailed. And had so many stories that were all worth talking about phil and pam you got to write the book i you know gotta write God. The book. i mean it was just like where do i enter this story because there were so many great stories right. well it's nice that and you, you have could... the first album uh concept so that you've got all you're always returning back to that and right. that, those are the stories you're going to pick out and those are the ones that you're trying to build a story out of and so some of the Stories that may not directly relate might still be fun to include because they have a kind of, they flesh out the characters. So, well, the... I thought you did a great job. At the end, what I, I finally came to is I thought, okay, let's get rid of the extraneous. What was my question when I entered this? What did I wonder about mm-hmm. for this album? I was wondering how they got on Flying Fish and I was wondering how they found these unusual instruments because it is a very interesting thing about how people discover their passions mm-hmm. when they are not in the mainstream you know the 
how does somebody decide to take up some, you know, bizarre, even a xylophone. Uh, at least you see xylophones in the symphony, but, uh, but the harp that you see in a symphony is totally different than the harp that yeah. Phil, Phillips started playing. Right. And the hammered dulcimer, I had never seen it. The hammered I, dulcimer is like a piano. Yeah. That's what it is. Basically, is a piano that you could, it's portable. You know? Yeah, and, it's and true. The, the mallets are the hammers, right? The little hammers, and you can—it's like playing a piano. Um, but I, tuck I, under your arm. I loved the story of how they found their passions. Yeah. It was fascinating, yeah. and for me to truncate it as much as I had to uh, was actually sort of painful. But at the same time, you only have a certain amount of space and. But the thing that it really taught me, and I was talking about this with Chris yesterday because I was telling him, I am sorry, but Wait. my... what? Hold your thought. You got it? Yeah. Okay. I wanted to say, for those who didn't know, Flying Fish was a record label, an independent record. It was kind of like, a, I always thought of it as kind of the sub-pop of folk and traditional music, stuff like that. So they were an independent record label that gave people like Magical Strings and Riley and Maloney and, and uh, who else? Honey uh, and the Rock. Sweet Honey and the Rock. Um, Doc Watson. Yeah. Those kind of people gave them international distribution, uh, distribution to radio stations that were, that, were, that were targeted to people who play that kind of music. It was kind of like the magic pill for people who wanted to spread their music around. That's the way the music industry used to work. It no longer operates that way on any level, so there is nothing like that. Uh, there's no equivalency today, because everybody's. You know, if you're a folk musician, pretty much you're independent. Yeah. You know, so it's a matter of getting distribution and getting, and you know, you're the one sending the albums to the radio stations that you think might play it. And it's a lot more of a roll of the dice than it is when you've got uh, uh, an actual company that has its own reputation, its own catalog, and stuff like that, and to where a radio station will need to look at it. And especially if you've got an album that's popular, uh, you know, it's, it's the difference between making a living and not making a living, really. At least it was in those days. So that's important to note. The worldwide distribution, that was the, yeah. the key thing that came from our conversation with them. They were saying that they were so tremendously fortunate right. that all these, all the stars aligned for them to be on this album label because... There's is, theirs is the story we all wish we could tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, on some level, it, that is true. You know, I mean, not that we haven't all had satisfaction in doing what we do, but uh, for them, they just, they tripped over uh, the right route and fell in with the right group of people on the right night in the right town and handed their cassette tape of the of the glass horse to the right person. That's right. And that's they, none of that was known at the time. I can't tell you the number of times where I felt like, oh, this this is an opportunity. This is this is the thing. Now I finally got the the thing. Like I remember when my friend Glenn Hampson was, wanted to be my manager, and he he was he had a publishing company here in town called Castle Pacific Publishing, and uh, wanted to manage me, and you know paid to have all this new promotional material printed up back in the days when it was still all in print and uh, I went to a uh, Folk Alliance conference and had a booth and you know did the whole 
big schmooze thing, which I'd never done before. And uh, but it, I think, <laughs> what what happened because I was like forty at the time, and had already moved to the Methow, and moving to the Methow was me kind of not giving up, but releasing a certain set of concepts about what my life and what I wanted right. my life to be because I I discovered that I didn't want my life to be that. Right. Um, but I I really thought that, and I think Glenn after a while saw that I wasn't as committed as he thought I was, and right. they kind of lost interest and. But anyway, I, all of that was a digression from your story. So. Oh, well, and, and I did freeze the, the thought. Cool. I, I was talking to Chris about how long my article had turned out to be because oh, yeah. um, usually I really do try to keep it within some constraints. I have difficulty uh, writing a real short article. Yeah. I, I really want to go into deep conversations about these people which is why you want to write these articles because you want to have these conversations right right and when I was talking to him I said you know I have so enjoyed in my life doing this because you know this is a volunteer thing Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm ever going to get anything out of it except the pure joy of hearing these people's stories and and, uh, and being able to give them back to them. And give them back to them and, yeah. and take up the challenge uh, that I enjoy about writing. I mean, I do enjoy a bit of a challenge. And this particular interview is a challenge because of the too much wonderful stuff. Yeah, the vastness of the, of the uh, saga. I'm just is. trying to feel like, okay, okay. And when I... I was on a walk, and you were on that walk with me, although we weren't really talking. We don't usually talk that much on the walk except pointing out something. Like, look at that crow. or Look at that mutant crow with the white uh, claws. Anyway, um, as we were walking, it's so interesting what your mind does because you're not even consciously thinking. You're not thinking, I must figure this out it's just like your brain is bubbling through different ways of getting it and all of a sudden I thought I know what I know how to do this I know what I can do and then I actually truncated the walk so I could get home and write it down because I was so afraid of losing it because uh when I suddenly thought oh the the main thing is that it's a love story it's a love story between Pam and Phil, but it's also a love story between Pam and Phil and their instruments, and it's a love story about the Irish music, and all of those things birthed this album project, and that was a lovely story to tell, and I really enjoyed working on it, but because it is a passion of mine, I actually was so absorbed that I didn't even notice the passage of the days. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm at Thursday and I had thought I must finish this by Thursday because I'm doing the layout on Friday. And I was thinking, I, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't finish this. And, and then it, it actually resolved itself in my head in like two hours. And I was done in the morning rather than the afternoon. And it was quite incredible. I had no idea that you had that struggle on Thursday. Oh, I did. I, because I was thinking, well, I, I thought, I, how do I incorporate the, the rest of the story in a pithy enough way 
because it's sort of like this event leads to this event leads to this event leads to this event and I had to just sort of I took a few cop out um, things that <laughs> you worked. read me what you thought was the cop out and so I mean I can understand why you would think that I've heard people do that in music I've heard Ian Anderson do a cop out a couple of times on on, on some of his albums where it, it's where the music shifts um, more harshly than it has at any other point during the work to where it, it's a lot more whoa that was a that was a it's just kind of jarring right so I think that's the kind of the thing you were talking about because I think that's how the energy flowed across what you called the cop-out part <laughs> it just made it it was just a little harder of a left turn than, than <laughs> where we were used to in the rest of the article well, you, know, you have to come coming around the clubhouse turn <laughs> into the home stretch. Here's I, how we know. But it was it was quite a joy to write, and it did make me realize that when I am retired, one of the things I really do want to do is write these stories, yeah. just as the honoring of the people. Because one of the things I recognized during this time, because for people who may not read this article, um, Magical Strings was my, it was the seed that was planted that changed my life because I had listened to an album of theirs totally not knowing. I just saw it at a record store, picked it up because I was curious about the instruments that were being played. Mm -hmm. And ended up writing them uh, one of the few fan letters I've written in my life and uh, they and Philip wrote me back and said that they were playing at the Seattle Folklife Festival and that's the I that went was, to see that was them the day you encountered the rest of your life exactly yeah. so for me this this album holds a cherished place and you know Magical Strings is really the perfect name for that group yeah because it is kind of that's there's the strings and the music that happens on the string which has its own magic and then there's the magic of their whole story and the kind of the saga of their of their path through life which they should write down <laughs> or, hire well, Di- or hire diane to write it <laughs> oh she, well, says, you know you get you give these people these articles and this is the article that they wish they could write about themselves because it's full of what they would call the highlights of uh, or some of the things that they're proudest of and you know when you're the person who's doing it, you, you, you don't really, it's really hard to write superlatively about oneself, you know, yeah, or, in, or in just, just to uh, pick out the glowy bits and, and really center on those, you know, so. I had this period of time where I had thought it would be so wonderful to write the people that you love the most, to write their stories as a mythology of some sort. But then I realized that all of my stories that I write about the musicians, that's what they are. Yeah. They're writing the mythology of that yeah. that person or that group because I, I really see the mythology lived out in people's lives. And I was telling you that one of the things I do when I'm listening to an interview, when I'm transcribing it, is I'm looking for repeated themes right. that that the person keeps talking about because there always is yeah. there's always a repeated theme they aren't even aware that they're saying it over and over and over again 
But in the case of Magical Strings, I was hearing the repeated theme of where have you been all my life? That was stated about Philip and Pam when they first met. That was stated about the instruments that they had. You know, they both had this separate experience of, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for, this thing, you know. And they both felt that way about Irish music. And to have that, where have you been all my life, repeated so many times that I could see, oh, it's about not just them, it's about these several things. And I was saying that when I interviewed you long ago, that the the repeating... The repeating uh, theme was that you didn't know whether you wanted to be a poet or a songwriter, that you always were undecided about which way you wanted to go, that you felt like you had to choose a path rather than choose both. But now I feel like you're choosing both. Is that true? Uh, I have no idea what's happening now. <laughs> this, is a, this is completely new territory for me. I've never, because I've never read my poetry for people, uh, except on a few precious and and very sweaty occasions. Um, <laughs> like I did a, as my, you know, part of my senior project in college was I, I produced a little chapbook of poetry and then gave a reading. It's a horrible, horrible experience, full of, you know, upset stomachs and you know, anyway, uh, so I've, I've always thought that I should at some point, because, you know, uh, I always thought there may become a time in my life when I can't or don't feel like playing music anymore for people. Yeah. And what will I do then? Well, that'll be the time when I will, you know, bring my poetry out and, and see what people think about that. And then when I got my diagnosis five years ago, it was like, oh, well, hey, there you go. You remember you were talking about when you thought you were a kid, when you said you when you picked music and you said, well, I'll do poetry later when I can't do music anymore? Well, looks like later might be closer than you think. I don't know. Anyway, it's been... Life uh, is fascinating. Yeah, it's been great for me because I've, I've discovered a similar phenomenon with my poems that I have with my songs. And I look, because I look back at a poem that I wrote 10 or 20 years ago, and, or 30 years ago, <laughs> or 40 years ago. And it resonates in a different way from this vantage point than it did when it was originally written. So I like the I, fact that you have rescued some wonderful poems from a reject file. I think that mostly was because of the titles I had given them for some reason. And because the title didn't go with the poem in the way that it was supposed to, it hadn't, the poem had never really locked into place, you know? So, but I don't know. There was, I think there was only, of the poems that I read that night, uh, I think there were only two that I had pulled out of, of the six that I read. There were only two that I had pulled out of the reject folder, but they were. A but couple they of, were great. Yeah, they were a couple of the ones that I really liked the most. Well, it's it's interesting to watch the way that your impression of your poetry is changing. I don't know that it is changing that much. Well, the but way I, that you talk about it to me seems to be changing. Oh. And I really enjoy, I'm, I'm so thankful to Tim that he asked you to read your poetry. Yeah, me too. Because I think that 
I think it's a part of your humility that you feel like, ah, you know, nobody wants to hear my poetry. And I feel well, I like, just, well, you... everybody who's there wants to hear your songs. <laughs> yeah. It's funny it because same mind. I think what's changing is I'm not as, I'm not as uh, reticent as I used to be. You know, I've realized that any poet who is famous, let's say Billy Collins, for instance, he probably doesn't think his poems are that good either. But he's gotten used to the fact that he's not the decider there, you know, which is a process that I've gone through with my songs. But I think with, with a song, because you've got the music and you've got, the, you've got it in your body more so in a more overt way than, you, than with poetry, you can kind of feel if you've got something because it registers in you. We're, we're, we're poetry because the music of it is so much more subtle. It's, you're a lot more likely to feel like you're the only one who hears it. Yeah. You know, and there's really no way to know if there is real music in it other than what you hear. So the, the, the process of gaining confidence as a songwriter comes from the audience, you know. Uh, really, I mean, as a performer, as somebody who not only writes the songs but is willing to play them for other people, you, it's the response of the other people that give you the forwardness in that part of your life. And I had, because I had never done that with my poetry, I had never had uh, a response that, that propelled me. So I feel like I've get, gotten some of that. But I don't think it's changed how I'm writing uh, at all. Uh, but it's, uh, it's changing, it's certainly changing my thoughts about the poetry I've written all of my adult life. Well, I guess the change that I've seen is that you're willing to let the two live side by side now. Yeah, well, they always have in kind of an unacknowledged way. But I've, I've given a lot more outward attention to music than I have to poetry. But in my life, poetry has always been, you know, I read more poetry than I do than I listen to music. Yeah. I do. And that's been true for as long as I can remember. I mean, there was a period in my life when I used to, back in the days when you had records and you had a stereo and stuff like that, I used to listen to a lot more records. Right. Because I knew what I had and I knew what I felt like hearing and you'd pull it out and you'd put it on and you'd play it. Music doesn't even work like that anymore. And it's a, for me, it's a loss. It's a, it's a loss of an experience that was tactile and ceremonial about playing music, other people's music in your life. Anyway. So I've always had that in poetry because my poetry collection is much more vast than my record collection ever was. Yeah. And uh, you continue to um, add to the it. vastness. God, I am just, I am so into this guy, Ron Kirchy, right now, who's a poet that, that Billy Collins featured on his poetry uh, live stream. And he held, luckily he held up the book so that I could see the cover of it, so I when I was looking for it, I knew what to look for. And it's just extraordinary stuff. Well, just because we could go on and on for just hours because, oh, uh, in conversation. Wait, and wait, maybe Diane, are you forcing us to round the clubhouse turn? Is this... <laughs> I am, a hard oh. turn. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I want to give we credit can... where credit is due. Dewey Webb on KOZI Radio. He used to do the stock market reports. And he was just a caution. I loved that man. He was so fun. He was also my, my investment banker at the time because of the paltry sum I had left in my uh, savings. He was my money manager. But he, I would call him every day 
and we'd do it over the phone, and he would give his little stock report. And so he and I would be kibitzing back and forth. I have some great little outtakes because I would roll tape the whole time because Dewey was just a character, and he was liable to say some of the most amazing things. He used to hand out business cards, and on the business card it says, My card. (laughs) (laughs) No phone number, nothing, no other information, just my card. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he always said, when he would, because he would give a, a reading of the kind of the stock market numbers, stuff like that. And then he would usually have a one or two little quips about, you know, business trends or this company is sold off, this com- these, this merger and acquisition is going on. And then he'd say, back around the clubhouse, turn. He'd give, you know, <laughs> give the current numbers at, at the time that he was doing the broadcast and uh-huh. an idea of the trends. And so, anyway. Yeah, so. the clubhouse turn. Okay. Thank you, Dewey. I like yeah. that image. Yeah. But we're talking about another person who's got creativity ah. to burn and oh. and uh, <laughs> and has. Uh, she's written a novel. She is an incredible abstract incredible artist. Painter. Incredible painter. Uh, and uh, amazing songwriter. Amazing songwriter and and instrumentalist. Yeah. Um, and I've known Sam Weiss for. 30-some years since, I think she came 86 or something like that when she showed up. I can't remember. Yeah, definitely in my time. Yeah, and uh, she's just, there there are Samwise songs that have stuck to my consciousness for all that time because there's nobody like Sam. And that's one of the things that that I find most uh, entrancing about performers is how different they are from each other and different on people's musical sense and and where they draw inspiration from. And um, Sam's uh, novel is called Abstraction. And I really feel like that's a good word for, for the territory that Sam exists in creatively. Because uh, the, even the songs she writes, they're just, they're a different kind of, they're a lot more like a painting than they are like a story, you know? And that is uh, her gift really because and whether she's doing it just instrumentally on the 12 string guitar or uh, singing and, and playing together it's it's a very unique sonic experience that is very lush and uh, very earthy it's, and it's big yeah it's, it's big. a big sound you know, she you know plays I, a big guitar she's I, got a big voice and I just I just, I just absolutely love I always voice. felt uh, I don't know my memories of Sam, I I always loved her original compositions, but I still remember when she played Pink Cadillac. Oh, yeah. That was a big crowd pleaser. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I liked the song, but when Sam sang that song, it I was... I didn't like the song, except when Sam did the song. It was never a song that I liked. It was a Bruce Springsteen song, but I... It, right. It, I liked it. I mean, when yeah. it came on the radio, but when she did it, it just was she almost purred it it was just so amazing there was just so much chunk she has chunk is what sam's got in her playing and in her uh her uh vocalizing style all of it it's just got this quality to it that just gets in your body but she's also got a very delicate sensibility too so she is uh multiple worlds in one human being 
I always think of her as a very playful person too, in playful in the way that she thinks and I don't know, a bit of a trickster yeah. uh, mentality that I enjoy. Yeah. Anyway. So we'll play one instrumental piece and, and one uh, song with lyrics. And the reason why we're thinking about this is because she performed a she concert does, on Facebook. She does this live week. streams on her Facebook page as well. Not as off. She doesn't do as many as I wish she'd do. But, you know, she's got other things to do. She's always posting up her latest paintings and stuff like that. And they're just extraordinary. They are extraordinary. So, And she did recently put out a book of line drawings, blind contour drawings that she had done during the pandemic. And that book is available on her website. So, And it's S-A-M-W-E-I-S, Sam Weiss. Now, I think it's samweiss.com or .net. And you can find her artwork and you can find her, her novel and her albums and uh, so and explore our another one of our she had not been local for a little while but yeah. now she's once again local yeah. we are so thrilled that she's back in the northwest it's true can't wait till I can actually see you again Sam pardon me I'm gonna have another drink of coffee <laughs> you know see in the original version of see <laughs> you boy you know it's good coffee rather than just over Zoom yeah rather than on a screen somewhere <laughs> yeah Got to get back to analog life here. <laughs> Eventually, but I'll tell right? you, it's sure nice to be able to have the option. It is, and it's also we're more. In, I'm more in touch with Sam than I probably would be otherwise. You yeah, know? It's because true. for me, being in touch with Sam means being able, to, being able to see her play. Yeah, because that's Sam.
I went away when I was 17 Told my friends I was chasing a dream Romance was as real as the sky Tried school in a northern state But the ocean wouldn't wait I was never good at saying goodbye Now I'm living in Amsterdam Wondering who I am Living in Amsterdam Waiting on the dream I spent a summer in Italy Swore there's no place I'd rather be I must have fell in love a hundred times School was on in the German snow And there were places I had to go Sometimes it feels like nothing
Like a late night phone call Can it wakes you With a jolt to the heart It says I'm gonna take you down A back road to midnight Then up to a sunrise That's just a start It's hard to imagine Like a lamb and a lion, a beautiful mystery. This is, this is a story of falling in love. This, this is a story of falling in Somebody's perfect Well it sure isn't me I never was that kind But I'm better than some Or at least not as boring Is this what you had in Top of a castle in an old rusty car. 